Hello and welcome to the CND Clinical Podcast. I'm CND's editor, Beth Kennedy. And I'm Nara Furiata, the clinical content editor. This episode, we'll be talking all about dental health. Talk about dental health. Beth, do you have anything interesting you want to tell us about your dental health? So you're asking me this because you know that I, I do. do. And <laughs> it's a bit of a sad story. So yes, I do. A couple of years ago, I had a bit of an accident. I slipped in my bathroom and managed to knock out one of my teeth which was not fabulous. I had to have a denture fitted for a while. It's not great when you're in your mid-20s and you've got to take your teeth out at night. Do you still have the glass by your bedside? No, that's that's (laughs) firmly gone now. I had all these operations I could get an implant fitted. So it's basically like instead of a root for your tooth, you've got like a metal post kind of thing and then they fix the tooth onto that. So I'm now the proud owner of that. Part woman, part machine. Happy days. Very, very happy. But at the time, it was not good. I can tell you now, never getting lip filler because when I had that operation to get <laughs> the implant, my whole, it happens like, because it's a, an operation, there was so much swelling. My lips were enormous. Oh. It, it was not good. <laughs> did you not like the look? I did not like the look, no. And also, because like, there was so much swelling that I got a black eye in one of my, on one oh, side oh, of my face. Goodness. Yeah, it was really bad. So yeah, I said I, I worked from home for a bit then. So you're not scared of dentists then? Because I've got like the opposite experience of dentists. I have a real fear for them. Do you? I know I love a dentist. It's actually a shout out to my dentists um, (laughs) for making it happen. We'll have a lot more to discuss when we talk about the dental health with our guest, Dr. Dapper. We're now going to go over to our newsroom for an update on the latest news from CND from one of our reporters, Elisa Luku. It's been a pretty busy month, C&D. We've covered a pretty diverse array of topics, but a few things do stand out to me. C&D examined, firstly, this uh, report commissioned by the DH, which offered a bit of insight in what it's like to be a PCN pharmacist. So contrary to what you might think, the grass isn't actually always greener for PCN pharmacists, according to the report. And pharmacists interviewed for it said that they often had like a huge workload. They felt spread very thin across multiple networks and they actually felt quite lonely. It sounds like you're kind of describing what it's like to be a pharmacist, really. Yeah. I mean, a lot of these issues came up in our salary survey. So it seems that it's not just isolated to community pharmacy. These issues persist across pharmacy networks. Well, it sounds like it's a primary care issue, really, when it comes to pharmacy. I mean, we do know a lot of people moved over to the PCN, so you can read furthermore about this piece, and we'll have the link below. And finally, we've got one more story. Yeah, so just this week, CND have launched our investigation into crime and violence in pharmacies. We released a couple pieces on this last year where we examined rates of crime in 2019 and 2020 with new data that we um, obtained for 2021 through FOI requests we were able to determine that there have been at least like 1,240 violent crimes committed in pharmacies in 2021. Oh wow this was just in 2021? This is just in 2021 and we'll be releasing further stories examining different aspects of the data that we obtain throughout the coming days and weeks. But we released our initial story yesterday and there's much more to come. So this is all part of our No Excuse for Abuse campaign. Exactly. 
Thanks, Elisa, for giving us a little bit more of an insight into our crime and pharmacies investigation. Yeah, it seems like the report has brought out quite a lot. It really has. So if you haven't, if anyone listening to this, if you've not checked it out, there's a landing page on the website that's got everything on there. But also if you just type in crime in the search bar, on the, then the site will bring up all, all up. But yes, lots of really interesting results. And I, you know, I sadly don't think they'll be that shocking pharmacists because I know there is so much crime. But yeah, we found between 2019 and 2021, there were over 25,000 reports of crime at well at least because we could only get data from i think about 30 of the 45 police forces across the UK. it's insane when you think of it as a group I yeah think individually when things happen to you in a pharmacy you kind of just take it as a day-to-day yeah exactly but it's just and you know some of the we've done a whole story about the crazy weapons that people have come in with and you know there's stuff in there like broken bottles and syringes and handguns and it's horrible just to think the kind of trauma that pharmacy teams sadly see it as like part of the job when it really really shouldn't be as we've been reporting on this we realized hopefully it's not going to be triggering or traumatic for people to read but also just to remind anyone that if you have been affected by anything like that the um, pharmacist support the, the sector's charity is always there you can call them for free have a chat to a trained professional about that so really do go and check it out though because it is a huge problem. And I think part of the reason that we wanted to do this and, and look at the scope of how much this is happening is I think you can only try and change things once you can put a number on how bad Absolutely. it is. So once you see it, it makes a yeah. difference. Now, this month's podcast is all about dental health. And I caught up with an old friend and top dental practitioner to discuss common dental issues which us pharmacists could face in our roles. I started our chat by asking Dr. Dapa about prescription writing. This is what he had to say. Our handwriting is very poor. <laughs> Just, we know. And every now and again, I get a local pharmacist call him and say, what do you mean when you said this? And uh, sometimes I have to rewrite my script. Or I notoriously forget the date, forget the minutes. Oh, and I'm like, ah, especially for patients in pain. I'm like, thank you for all the pharmacists that have a lot of patients for us because Listen, it's it's not easy and sometimes you guys do have to figure things out and contact us for clarification. And thank you so much for being patient with us. And I speak on behalf of all the dentists nationally to say thank you to our family. You've won a lot of dentists, um, a lot of grace there, by the way. So we've got um, Dr. Dapai here to give us a talk about dental hygiene. Um, as a pharmacist myself, I can say when it comes to dental hygiene, it's one of those subject areas where we know just not enough and we just know when to refer. But there are things that I think having the chance to speak to a dentist will help bring some of those knowledge styles. So to start with, we're just going to start with our basic um, oral hygiene. Um, so you and I have like spent some time together and grown up. And I remember some of the things you've told me. But I'll just let you tell us. So like, how often should we be brushing our teeth? Okay, so... Generally, our patients should be brushing, everyone should be brushing their teeth twice a day in the morning. Before and after breakfast, that's debatable, but at least you do it anyway in the morning. And the last thing you do before you go to bed. I generally, and probably most dentists may agree with me, um, do recommend an electric toothbrush, um, which has been proven to be more effective than a manual toothbrush, especially ones that have pressure sensors on them. Because um, one 
one issue, especially as we get older, is that we tend to brush a bit hard. So an electric toothbrush, some of them have inbuilt sensors in them. So when you brush too hard, it kind of flashes and lets you know. In addition to that, I usually recommend my patients to floss or use what we call interdental brushes. Flossing may not be for everybody because it's quite challenging. So if you don't know how to do it, and admittedly, I put my hands up, I never knew how to floss properly until I went to dental school. Can you imagine? So if you do not know, I'm sure there's lots of YouTube videos out there, but better still, it's better to go to your dentist to show you or your local hygienist to show you how to floss. But an alternative, which is which is also really effective, is what we call interdental brushes. So one of the main market leaders is a brand called TP, which I'm sure a lot of pharmacists stock, especially in like supermarkets. So what may even help is whenever somebody comes to purchase a toothbrush or anything like that or, or ask any all health-related questions, it would be really good um, for, for our pharmacist colleagues was to kind of recommend our patients or uh, the general public to brush twice a day, but to kind of add brushes and stuff like that as well so those are the things that usually usually help because and the reason why i say that not to run belong it does help especially patients who have gum disease but also sometimes what happens food gets stuck in between our teeth even if you could buy the most expensive toothbrush for a thousand pounds it will only clean other surfaces of your teeth the bristles won't get in between so that's where the flossing and the brushes come in and it's very surprising that when I do clinical assessment, clinical examination on my patients and what seems to be, the teeth seem to be fine. Something what happens only when I show up on x-ray, then I, give, I begin to see holes that in between their teeth because food gets stuck there over a long period of time. And that's what leads to dental caries, which can eventually lead to pain. So those are the kind of... I really remember one thing that you showed me when it came to um, flossing. And if you guys haven't done this, I really suggest you do this. Once you've done it, you're always going to floss your teeth. <laughs> I'll, I'll let you tell it. <laughs> yeah, so uh, for patients who don't floss regularly, what I tend to do to show them, especially kids or children or young adults, what I do, I tend to floss their teeth and then ask them to smell it. And when they smell it, it's more flattering smell. That then serves as a motivator for people to start flossing, say, you know what, I don't want to smell that smell again. So if you have a patient who's reluctant in um, flossing, yes. get them to do that, and I promise they will be flossing very... <laughs> the, the other thing um, we usually come across is rinsing. So us growing up, we were brought up with brush your teeth, you rinse your mouth, and they spit it out. Yes, 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 yes. I remember you, we're not supposed to rinse our, our mouth, are we? Yeah, so once again, one great, great discovery I found while training as a dentist is that we shouldn't rinse our mouth after brushing. As weird as it sounds, the reason is because yeah, I know there's a big debate going on. It's been going on for forever, uh, but there's a bit about fluoride. But one thing I can say that the level of fluoride or the degree of fluoride that's used in toothpaste is not it's not particularly harmful. So when we brush our teeth with um, fluoride-containing toothpaste, which, which is most of um, the over-the-counter toothpaste that are available to everybody that are sold in pharmacies, for example, um, they contain fluoride. So br brushing our teeth, it helps protect our teeth. But when we spit and don't rinse, what happens? It gives it 
time for the fluoride to kind of soak into the dental tissues. Okay. So in saying that, if we rinse out, we're literally undoing or reducing the chance for the fluoride to really soak into our protect our teeth. Um, Because what happens, the fluoride then begins to, if I could use the word, seep into the outer surface of the teeth and begin to strengthen or harden or make our teeth more resistant to dental decay. So by not by not rinsing, we're giving our our teeth every chance to be strengthened. Um, there is an argument, for example, with mouthwashes. So mouthwashes are effective and they do work. But once again, we rinse our mouth and then we spit it. It's I think, in my professional opinion, it's more better for the toothpaste to kind of soak in because it's more has more of an effect than the whole liquid aspect of the mouthwash. What I do tell my patients, it's probably best to use mouthwash in times where you don't have access to a, a toothbrush or a sink uh, to brush your teeth. For example, if you're at work, you have lunch, especially if you're undergoing, like, straighten your teeth, like, where, and things like that, where... Um, where um, oral health is absolutely paramount, I would say having a, a, a rinse of your um, of your mouthwash would be really good to kind of maintain oral health and keep at optimum standard. So I hope that makes sense. Oh, that's, that, that, that's, that's really good information. Though. Um, I'm glad you touched on the mouthwashes. Um, so when it comes to pharmacies, some of the mouthwash that we would usually recommend to patients would complain about like dental health or dental pain or any is um cordial. Mm-hmm. Um, we know not to give the we know to give the alcohol free when the patient is taking metronidazole, for instance. Um, know that is there anything else that we need to know when it comes to um cordial? Yeah, so cordial mouthwash. Obviously, you're aware, and most and all pharmacists are aware that is the brand um chlorhexidine is the active ingredient. Um, I think chlorhexidine is very effective, very good, especially for our um, patients who suffer from gum disease, for example. Um, I, I, and I'm sure most hygienists and dentists put our patients on the course of chlorhexidine when they're undergoing um, treatment for gum disease. Well, it might, what happens, what most patients don't know is that after 28 days, and it does say on most, if not all, um, labels, um, chlorhexidine labels, is that it can um, result in um, dental staining, what we call intrinsic staining or surface staining. Um, so, um, so you have patients who are, I've had patients in in some cases where I've had patients where for years they've been told to to use uh, Corsido, whether by health, some sort of healthcare professional, could be GP, pharmacist, dentist, but they haven't been told. Um, to use after a certain period of time. There are some cases, especially when you're dealing with severe gum disease patients, where you would tell them to use it for a specific amount of time, which may be one, two, three months, but then they're under direct dentist supervision. What patients shouldn't be made aware of is that it can result in staining. The staining can be cleaned off, but what sometimes bewilders a patient is that staining just happens for, uh, they think, well, what's happened to my teeth and blah, blah, blah. So it's probably good you know, if most pharmacists are made aware that it's very effective but they should use it for a short period of time unless their dentist um, says and I think that's why the daily version because it does have <laughs> it does have uh, 
he hasn't that hasn't that much. Um, I think that the the degree of of Corexine, that degree is much less. And I think long term it still can stain, but they made it so you can use it on a more of a daily basis because they know that using it the normal one on a daily basis would result in staining. Yeah. Uh, that's that's really good information. There. Um, also, I've just got one more thing before we move on to our next the next part of our topic. And so, how often should I go see my dentist? Okay, fantastic. So, most patients should see a dentist at least twice a year, so every six months. And believe it or not, like if your teeth are great and your dentist has been seen for a while, some dentists even stretch it to once once a year. And the way I like talk to patients about this is like an MOT. So, you know, so you see, you see I have an MOT every year. Um, I think most people have their or general health check once a year, and that should be the same with their teeth. Um, you'd be very surprised. You see a patient, especially kids, within three months, and dental decay can develop very fast, especially in the patient that's determined as high risk, if that makes sense. They should also see the hygiene every six months as well. However, if a patient is at risk of gum disease, and one thing which would be good for pharmacists to point out to patients is that we've been the kind of that if you have a patient that's diabetic and it's uncontrolled, it could mean that they had very strong links with gum disease. So patients should be encouraged also from that perspective to go and visit their dentist because what then happens is that gum disease is the number one reason for people having tooth loss. Oh. Do you get what I'm saying? So yeah. diabetes is uncontrolled in a lot of cases. You know, there's a gum disease issue. Diabetics, should they go see their dentist a lot more often than... Yeah, so that's about touching. Yeah, sorry. So um, so if a patient is a medium or high risk um, patient with gum disease, then they'll be seen by their dentist every three months and the hygiene every three months um, just to ensure everything's okay but once everything's under control and one thing i'd like to say and one thing i like i say this to my patients and maybe helpful to our pharmacist colleagues is that gum disease is like hypertension it doesn't hurt if you have a dental pain you're you're ringing that you're ringing one 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 you're ringing the dentist and all of that you're there but it's a trigger it's a trigger but my gum disease can go on for so long patients do they may brush and they bleed that may that be one sign but sometimes it doesn't always happen like that and especially if a patient is anxious or fearful they had a bad experience or traumatic experience that then serves as a barrier for them to go exactly so you know it's really good and i know um pharmacists have very strong with gps i know um i've got pharmacist friends who are working in gp surgeries so there's a very strong link there but i think you know it, what should be good is that, you know, if both professions can link up even more to um, form alliances and, and kind of give that MDT a holistic approach or holistic care um, for our patients. So they feel that they've been looked after from a 360. I'm really glad you said that. Um, that kind of brings me on to the other point I wanted to bring up with you really, which is... Uh, during the COVID um, period, so pharmacists had a nightmare because a lot of the other NHS services closed their doors, so which means a lot of our patients just came straight to us. Mm-hmm. One thing that we did see a lot was patients that required dental care but couldn't get access to dental care. 
especially the elderly patients that needed like dentures and fillings and things like that, where where our knowledge on those things might be limited in some situations. In those situations, is there an emergency line? Is there somewhere that we can refer them to mm. so they can get their care that they need? Well, um, in lockdown, I, th- I know I don't think it's uh, a separate right now, but there were dental hubs that were set up where patients, where we was even referring patients to, because that time we were closed. And um, what's happened now, as a result of the pandemic, that there's been an access issue, a real major access issue, and even from a dental perspective, there's been a dental workforce issue not to be political, but especially the whole EU and everything, what's happened is that a lot of um, dental care professionals have gone to their respective countries. So there's a workforce issue in our part, but also there's a access issue. So there's a lot of issues going on. And one thing I would say, you know, I would encourage our pharmacist colleagues is to be just to, just to kind of form a relationship once again with the local, I'll say, enters and private clinics. And become well acquainted, so we could transfer knowledge, or we could see how we could, especially from a community perspective, how we could kind of work together. And it'd be very helpful if pharmacists could pick up the phone uh, and ask me a question. If you know, especially they may have a, a, a patient in front of them, they're not too sure about. And dentists do this amongst themselves. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. Yeah. So how much more if we have to cross? And do across the profession doesn't make sense. One thing could be opening hours. So, um, if because uh, I can only imagine, especially in COVID, how you were you guys were bombarded with questions, <laughs> questions <laughs> with all of these. Do you get what I'm saying? I mean, even things like um, temporary dental filling material. I had to tell my patients to go and get that because they were closed at that point. So, um, I, can, I can only imagine and it's very very difficult and it's, and also you don't want to feel that you know you're going to step on a professional toes you, you know you put a very compromised situation and what I find is that um, if you was to have a list of your local NHS and private practices because what I do find is that a lot of my NHS colleagues um, you know they're really snowed under and the, the waiting list are longer. Whereas private practices, historically or generally, is not that not as bad. So patient made aware maybe of the availability, of the prices and stuff like that, and where to go, and they're signposted. So I think, yeah. So if if that if the form if the relationship can be built, then the patient can be thought that they're well they're well cared for, well catered for. So I think if there's kind of that link then I think that's what will help because I think there's a real access issue at the moment where patients are, are, are really suffering. Yeah, I think it's, that's something that we're finding all across the board when it comes to the NHS really. It's just lack of staff and too many. Backlog is still something we're having to deal with. I'll come to the flashy stuff now. So <laughs> I've always wanted to get my teeth done and I know you always tell me not now. <laughs> but... Um, for people our age, people in their thirties and their late twenties, wanting to get like teeth whitening, um, new veneers, and the whatever they have to have, get that Hollywood smile, is that something you would um, recommend for us? 
yeah, I think um, what's happened generally, um, before we go on to that, I just want to just add to the last point. As colleagues, if we get more quickly with each other, we can utilize the kind of e system. So, emailing um, prescriptions over, um, it, you know, it would really help if, if I find out where the patient's from or a local and they give me the details of the local pharmacist and I just contact them and say, hey, um, how's it going? I'm sending this over and we just send it. And I think, and I think, I think it happens very much, probably more swiftly in NHS. But those of us who are private practitioners, I think that loop could be um, fostered more. So, um, if we can utilize um, uh, technology to kind of make things quicker for our patients, um, I think we'll be more effective in them um, delivering our care. Yeah. So, now go to the flashy stuff, as you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> I mean. All right, with the electronic stuff, um, the NHS and most pharmacists are moving more towards electronic working now. It's the future. You can't go without, basically. So I think it's a good idea to bring in dentists into that fray. We get a lot of GP prescriptions electronically, but we hardly ever get dentist prescriptions. Yeah, yeah. I think that is something that needs to be looked at, really. So the powers that be, if you're listening... <laughs> Our wish list, and, and, and I think that um, I mean from discussions we've had, I think that even based just from just talking to you, um, if a patient is in need, um, I could just say, look, give me the details or give me the name. I contact the pharmacy, and then we send it over, and then that's it done. You know, do you? So, so that's something I'm going to implement as a result of our discussions, and I think if this is made made uh, more. There's knowledge made more available or, or spread more widely, and I'm sure more, more of my colleagues will, will be doing exactly the same thing. Yeah. We've changed the world, and now let's go back to me getting my teeth written. Yeah, so I think what's happened is that, especially in our, um, in our generation, the rise of social media, um, what's happening... Um, what's happened in that kind of world is that people, young people with a TikTok, with Instagram, Facebook, social media, YouTube, people are becoming more conscious of the way they look and where they, they, how they dress and all of that. And that includes their teeth. And what's happened is that in the rise of cosmetic or the desire for cosmetic dentistry, what we're finding is that there's a lot of fads out there. So it could be whitening, it could be, uh, I've seen the other day, I think, a temporary veneer that people buy and they click in. And um, people going to do, what do you call dental tourism, you know, things like that. And uh, what I would say is that it's really dependent on the patient, what they, what they want, you know. But I think the patient should be treated safely and be advised safely. You know what I mean? So one thing which is big in healthcare, and, and I don't think it's not only in dentistry, is that patients should be made aware of their options. Aware of the options and the pros and cons for the options. Do you get know what I mean? So, for example, you talk about teeth whining, for example. I'll tell patients that teeth whining I do, that we do, it's safe. Been around for a long time. It does work. It's effective. And the government have put a cap on the concentration which we use. However, in some patients, it can result in some sensitivity. It varies from patient to patient, but patient must be made aware. And that's where I'll say we can use toothpaste to help mitigate that sensitivity. 
So it's that kind of information that patients need to be made aware of. I saw a patient the other day, must be a month ago, and they must have ordered these um, straightening aligners um, um, straight from uh, the internet. So I think they must have took the mold themselves or went to a centre where they had a scan or mold done. But what happened was that when I the patient come to the end of their treatment and they come to see me, well, I did find that the patient had one dead tooth that was infected and the patient had another tooth that was seriously decaying and infected where now I have to pull the tooth out yeah, have to put the implant in place and then do the cosmetic work. And I'm thinking, how on earth did they allow you to straighten your teeth with that there? If I, if, if any dentist was, were to do that, they would be seen as negligent and they'll be liable for litigation. Does that make sense? So um, patients, I understand, are shopping around, but... It should be with dentists, not with the internet. Exactly. Patients should be made aware. So something that, you know, that's common that... I do in my, in my in my sphere or my dentistry is uh, straining teeth, um, whitening, something called composite bonding, um, veneers and stuff like that. And one thing I'll say that what's happened is that uh, what, what I've seen arising is people coming asking for composite. So composite, for example, is a uh, it's a white filling material which has been around for a long time. But what's happened is that because of the developments in composite, um, it's it's more durable, it's stronger. And the aesthetic properties are much more um, better. Thank, um, thank God for material scientists that are developing and working on it and things like that. What then means is that we could uh, place that over um, the front teeth, which we can achieve high aesthetic results with minimally destructing or minimally um, affecting um, the, the teeth, natural teeth. And because of that reason, a lot of patients are, um, are especially um, in the 20s to 40s age bracket, are kind of going on for, for, for that. Um, either way, if it was porcelain veneers or stuff like that, do have to prepare the teeth or do have to shave down the teeth. But in the UK, we're taught um, right throughout our training to be as minimally evasive as possible when doing it. And I don't think that's the same in other countries. So when you find that there's people that go to other countries and you find that they're very they're, they're very um, aggressive in their in their treatments, what then happens is that uh, the life cycle of the tooth is now reduced significantly. Um, so I feel sorry for the patients who because they go for the cheapest option. Yeah, and then they have to pay more. You know, they say buy tea, buy twice sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> so I think um, it's from a dental public health perspective, which I think I will be doing. So one of my plans this year is to kind of move onto the YouTube platform and being given advice and um, and advising patients and main patients be made aware of what options are available to them. And uh, once patients are made aware, then they can make an informed decision about um, their thing. And, and a lot of it goes to psychology. You know, I, I, you know, my consults are nearly an hour long. And one of my reasons is to find out what's the motivation, what are the motivators for the patient? Is it job? Is it, is it a field of work? Is it, is it a confidence thing? You know, I must under, identify the motivating factors and see if I can meet the patient's expectations. And these are the things that we need um, to find out as dentists um, for what what, what tumors are trying to deliver. So you guys heard it here first. If you do want to get your teeth done, you should go see Dr. Napa and no other dentist. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm, hoping, 
hopefully, hopefully you let me get mine done now. Yes, <laughs> brother. Of course, your family, your family. Yeah. Um. So that that brings us to the end of our conversation. Thank you very much for coming and spending this time with us. It's much appreciated. Um. Before I let you go, I'll let you give yourself a little shout out. Thank you. So where can we find you? Oh, thank you so much. So I am one of the founders and the clinical director of the Dove Dental Wellbeing Spa. We are an independent practice based in Southwest London, in Wandsworth. Um, we're open to everybody for all types of general dentistry and um, and well-being. So we offer all sort of Botox fillers and all that, that kind of stuff. Um, but, you know, we are we're very much here for families as well. We need to just offer and treat our patients um, the best way we can. That's really it, um, you know. And to know our patients are safe um, and in a good place, you know. My website, which is coming soon, is um, drdapper.com uh, or drdapper.co.uk. It should be released probably by the beginning of April. And my practice website is uk, And my Instagram handle is dovedentalspa.uk. And my Instagram handle is drdapper. That was the conversation we had with Dr. Dapar. I hope you found that very interesting. We went through quite a few of the topics and hopefully we should be catching up with him soon to see how he's getting on. So now we're bringing you our latest segment, uh, A Dose from a Rose. So I think we all know that uh, a lot of medicines that we use now have their beginnings, their roots, if you like, in uh, the natural world. So this is really just uh, Nana's chance to explore some of those. So take it away, Nana. Today's dose is digoxin, a cardiac glycoside. Digoxin was discovered from the leaves of a plant's digitalis purpura. I guess that explains the name. The plant is commonly known as the foxglove or the ladyglove, and they produce beautiful bell-like flowers. I suggest you go look at them. They are really beautiful. But do watch out, they are poisonous. Thanks, Nana. That's really interesting. I didn't know that. You learn something new every day. You do indeed. I hope you guys have enjoyed the show and we hope to have you here again next month where we should be discussing exercise and sports injuries. I know that you've had a sports injury recently. This is a comeback for what I did earlier, isn't it? Yes. So. <laughs> <laughs> You're healed now? At the moment, yeah. Until next weekend. We'll hear more about that next time, Nana's recent experience with uh, sports injury. So do tune in next month for our next episode, which will be on sports injury. From me, Beth Kennedy, thank you so much for joining in. And from me, Nana Friata, thank you so much. Goodbye. Goodbye.